Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from whenever and wherever you are. I'm your host, Jackson Janetsky. I'm very excited to welcome you all to the new season of the Intersection Podcasts, which is a podcast featured through the Ohio State Sports and Society Initiative. Um, for those new to the podcast, here's kind of our focus for the season. We're looking to find stories about sports, which don't necessarily happen in between the lines on the field. We look to take a different angle to stories and kind of focus on how this impacts not just players and coaches and personnel staff and stuff like that, but how does this have an impact on society as a whole? So today's episode, I'm very excited. I know our two guests today are extremely excited to join us today. We're going to be talking about Bishop Sycamore. And for, for those of you who might not be familiar with it. Uh, I don't know if it's famous or infamous in the IMG Academy game in which they went on ESPN and I don't know for polite of terms got smacked um, by IMG Academy, but um, very excited today to have Ben Fury, civil rights investigator at the Ohio State University and Andrew King, freelance writer formerly for the Columbus Dispatch. Is that correct, Andrew? Approximately, yeah. Yeah, cool. So Excited to have you two on today. So I guess let's let's just kind of start from the beginning here. I guess if one of you two want to jump in, just kind of talk about like who was or is Bishop Sycamore, if whether we want to consider them an actual school or not, uh, kind of up to you guys. But like, who who were they? Who who was Bishop Sycamore? Kind of what what where did they start? Where did they kind of originate from? For I guess people who haven't seen the the BS High documentary yet, which fascinated me beyond belief uh yeah i can take that one so bishop sycamore uh was a fake school that was allegedly in columbus ohio but they didn't have any actual facilities they didn't have any teachers any classrooms anything of the sort um they had students so to speak uh, by which i mean they had young men who were affiliated with the program, but the only reason they were affiliated with the program was so that they could play high school football. Uh, the vast majority, if not all, of the athletes on the team had already graduated high school, or at the very least had already done four years of high school. Maybe they dropped out or didn't graduate, um, but they were not eligible for high school athletics still and used Bishop Sycamore as an avenue to try and continue their high school football dreams because the mastermind behind the saga, Roy Johnson, um, told them that it was okay, told them that he could get them D1 offers to OSU, to Alabama, to Clemson, to the, the powerhouse programs of the country if they would come play for his team. And so I'm glad you mentioned Roy Johnson because that was kind of leading me into my next thing. So I know Roy Johnson had a, a big idea of kind of what he wanted out of this was do you guys feel his initial intentions were were of good or was it something where just from the very beginning he knew okay this is a scam and I'm just going to see how much I can milk out of these kids just from the beginning I don't know Andrew if you want to maybe touch on that a little bit yeah I think actually Ben and I might have slightly different perspectives on this I, I um I have spent a lot of time talking to Roy Johnson um I'm one of the like the few people whose phone calls he would answer. Um, and that's not to say that uh, we're pals or that that 
clouds my judgment or anything, but having sure. spent hours and hours talking to the guy, um, I do think there are elements of what he was trying to do that at least he considered, uh, you know, to be like trying to do something good. Um, was he going about that in ethical or legal or reasonable ways? Certainly not. Um, and of course there was an element of trying to, you know, get famous himself or, uh, make some money or whatever. Um, but I think in his own kind of diluted, you know, grandiose way, he did at times think that he was doing something good. Uh, it's just that all those other factors ended up getting piled on top of it as well. Sure. Uh, yeah. And I disagree with Andrew slightly in that. I don't think there was ever any good intentions, even from the start, uh, simply because of how he's conducted himself. Uh, Bishop Sycamore used to go by a different name, COF Academy. Uh, and when that failed and imploded, you know, instead of stopping and, you know, sort of assessing what did we do wrong here? How could I have made this better? Which, in my opinion, if he had good intentions is what he would have done. He instead doubled down and made it worse. And looking at his life before he did the Bishop Sycamore scandal, he sold life insurance. He lost his license to sell life insurance, which is something that you have to get from the state of Ohio, for selling fake policies. He then got hired by a different insurance company, lied on his application, said he still had a license, said that he had never been fired before, and got fired a second time for, again, selling fake policies. So for me, this is not a guy that I'm willing to give any benefit of the doubt to on what his intentions might have been starting it out. That's fair. And like, if you watch the podcast, or not the podcast, but the the documentary in general, it's like, it frames it in a way it starts in the beginning, you're like, okay, this, you know, he's, he's got some good intentions, you know, he's really out, like looking for you know, for these kids and looking out for them and their families and stuff. And then you get to the end and it's like, well, no, not, you know, not, not exactly. It's one of those things where he immediately, you know, looks to turn on the directors. And I think that one scene that stands out to me is when he storms out of the facility or the, the room in which he's talking with the directors. And I think that's the most really impactful thing that kind of just shows you who really Roy Johnson is kind of as a person. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those things like where I saw you, Ben, uh, on Awful Announcing's podcast um, talking about kind of the first time you saw something with Bishop Sycamore and kind of that raising a red flag. What was that moment that you saw that kind of raised that red flag for you where, OK, th this is this might be something I need to look into? Yeah, so at my former job working at the Ohio High School Athletic Association, um, one of the things that our office would have to do is verify the enrollment number for schools, um, which is what's used to place the teams into their proper divisions. There are seven divisions in football. Usually you just get those numbers straight from the Ohio Department of Education, and it's a very simple process. Because COF Academy, what they were going by at the time, was a brand new school. They were going into their first year. They didn't have that Ohio Department of Education filing yet. Um, and the number that Roy said, he said they would have 750 students year one. And that raised a red flag to me because that's just an insane number. Like he, people that don't work in schools, you know, might not realize 
truly how big a 750 person high school is. That is a, a huge, huge high school. That would put them in D1. And you just don't have that number spring up overnight. Um, what really kicked it to the next level at the time, we sort of assumed that they were just a small school trying to pass themselves off as a big school so that other big schools would play them uh, was I decided I would just go to the school and try to get an estimate of the, how many kids they had. You know, I wasn't necessarily looking to count everybody, but I thought, well, I'll be able to tell the difference between like 750 or 200, for example. Sure. And I get to the location, the address where they said their school was, and nobody there had any idea what I was talking about. There was clearly no school. There was nobody there. It was a church. There was no teachers, no classrooms, no school-aged children around. And that's sort of when it kicked it up a notch, like, okay, something really weird is going on here. Sure. And so, like, what were the loopholes that they got through to, like, be able to just kind of, like, label this church as their school, like, and just not necessarily have, like, a structured building, <laughs> per se? So it's not even necessarily a loophole. It's just straight up fraud. They just lied on their forms to the Ohio Department of Education. Um, and the issue that comes with that is, okay, you lied. It's not actually a school. What punishment under the law is there? Well, the only punishment is that you don't get your certification as a school, which they didn't care about anyway. Right. There's you know, nothing that says this is a crime. You're going to go to jail now. Because no one ever thought that somebody would would do such a thing. Sure. And so is that something like that that you can go back and investigate per se? Or is that just something that just kind of like a little slap on the wrist? Like, hey, don't do that again. Like, is is that kind of what what happens with that kind of fraud stuff? There's not even really a mechanism for any of it. I mean, the only punishment that the Ohio Department of Education is like equipped to deal out is is taking away funding or something like that, uh, which wasn't applied here because they specifically uh, like deemed themselves a religious school, um, which essentially in the eyes of the state means that there's nothing that they can look into uh, unless something is reported. And that's what ended up happening in this case. And that's why they're original uh, certification was removed. Um, but like Ben said, kind of after that step where the state says, just kidding, we're no longer certifying you as a school, there's not really any any legal recourse for anything to happen. So they could just kind of do the same thing under the Bishop Sycamore name the second year. And if no one was there to notice or to track things down, there wasn't nothing was really going to happen. Yeah. And like I, I read an article, too, in the Columbus Dispatch posted maybe a few years ago by Anna Staver, um, and she was kind of talking about maybe some rules that needed to be changed in OSHA um, and kind of about non-charter, non-public schools and and how they can kind of get away. Like you, you touched on having religious aspects and religious things that can make them those non-chartered schools. So is that is that a big concern kind of about like this could happen again because there are so many schools that label themselves as non-chartered as non-public schools and it could kind of just like happen again because there is no mechanism for fraud like you mentioned in this case like there's nothing really that's ever happened like this before yeah i think i mean i think it's 
it's easy for it to happen again. All it takes is for people to not, you know, pay attention and, and not track it down or or not report it in the first place. And I mean, without Ben being, you know, the the person that Ben is and and looking into things, um, and without you know, me being a willing journalist to report on it at the beginning, I'm not sure anybody would have had any idea about COF Academy. And then after that ended, if Bishop Sycamore had never played on ESPN, I don't think anybody would have noticed them either. Um, so, and I don't think there's really even like a state component to it. I, I I don't know for a fact, but I would be shocked if this were not happening in every state in the country for the most part. So you think that this is something that's going to consistently be happening and until there's a structured rule put into place, teams are just or schools or people are just going to continue to do it? Yeah, I mean, there's just what's the downside, really? Right. Uh, obviously, these guys got as close as they could possibly get, uh, you know, playing on ESPN. They just weren't any good. Um, that's really the only thing they didn't achieve is being any good. And so if these guys can do it, lie their way through the whole thing, get as far as they do and have very few legal repercussions. And the legal repercussions that they've had have nothing to do with the state. It's just like not paying bills. If they can get all that far and, and do it as sloppy as they did it, what's stopping anyone else really? What, what, what's the, the risk? Because what's going to happen to you other than we're going to, you know, embarrass you with an HBO documentary. Little slap on the wrist. Right. And like, and so to build off of Andrew's point, um, you know, I think people have varying opinions of this, but I don't think the people behind the Bishop Sycamore scam were particularly smart. I, I truly don't. I think they were very willing to do things outside of societal norms, which might have taken people by surprise, uh, but it wasn't necessarily smart. Playing on ESPN was not smart. It blew up the whole thing. It melted the whole thing down, a fraud that they had been semi-successfully running for at least four years. What if someone that's actually smart is doing this? What would that look like? You wouldn't know about it because they wouldn't tell the OHSAA they have 750 kids because a smart person would know that's absurd right off the bat. If year one, Roy Johnson had told the OHSAA, I've got 100 kids, we would have thought, eh, see, it still seems a little high, but possible. And that sure. would have been it. It's It's truly this not knowing what you don't know that got him, you know, everything melted down. If someone intelligent is running one of these scams, it'd be going on for years and you would truly have no idea. And so I'm sure this is probably a, a wrong question to me for ask. What does a smart person like this look like that's running one of these scams? Like what, what are they, what would they do differently than Roy Johnson did? So there's, I guess, two halves of it, right? One, if you're just trying to run a fake school, not like an athletic component, you're just trying to run a fake school, maybe because you have certain beliefs, like the Nazi homeschool in Northeast Ohio, which is a great story to look up if you're not familiar with that, but they used this exact same exception. Yeah, go ahead, look it up. That's a, that's a tale from the past <laughs> year, I believe. But let's say you were doing an athletic component and that was the goal. You know, it's a financial goal. You're going to make a fake school to get tapped into the money that exists in high school athletics. Number one, you wouldn't do football. Football has a very limited number of games you can play a week. Most people only play one games a week. Even Bishop Sycamore, who was stretching the rules and doing things in the most unhealthy way possible, couldn't realistically play more than two or three games in a week. If you were smart, you'd do basketball. Basketball has almost as much money as football in it, if not more. 
it's got a much larger uh, realm to draw from. There are more basketball teams and there are football teams and the costs are just much lower. You don't need to go find 40 kids and bring them in and feed them. You need to find seven. You don't need to go buy helmets and pads and all those sort of things. You just need some matching shirts. So that would be a, a much wiser avenue to take. So in case you're curious, everybody that's listening, Ben just gave you a little insight in how to uh, how to scam and, and not get caught by Ben and have an HBO uh, documentary get written about you. But we'll we'll subside for that for a second. So, uh, Andrew, I want to go back to you for a second. Uh, you wrote a piece in 2019 talking about COF Academy and kind of the first per- perceptions not necessarily being reality for Roy Johnson. Like wh- what exactly did you did you mean by that? Yeah. um, I mean, this was a tricky thing to handle at the very beginning because it was one of those things that right away it was very clear that there was so much more going on here. Right. Um, And, you know, in the world of of being a reporter in the 2000s, like you don't have weeks to work on a story. Right. So I kind of had to put something together that was representative of what I was seeing um, as it relates to what people already knew about them. And the only thing that anybody knew about them was that they had this crazy schedule and they were putting out, you know, hype videos about how they were all these incredible athletes who were going to be doing these amazing things. And they really were representing themselves as this like overnight powerhouse. Right. So what those first couple articles I wrote kind of tried to do was to say, you know, let's pump the brakes a little bit because this place that allegedly has 750 kids and uh you know and is a football powerhouse doesn't even have a website um you know pointing out stuff like that so those first few articles i wrote were really kind of trying to explain first of all why this was a story right because it wasn't getting published in the sports section because it wasn't really a sports story um and so from there it's like if i'm a reader why am i reading about this football team um And it's a tricky thing because, you know, it is it relevant to somebody who lives in a Columbus suburb who doesn't care about football? Probably not really, but it's a story about fraud and misrepresentation and things like that. And I think it's a um, kind of a microcosm of how it can be tricky to get people to understand why something is worth covering or worth caring about. Right. And so, like, what drew you? to like being so interested and intrigued in this story. Cause obviously now it's such a big topic of conversation. I mean, I was in class the other day and had two people, I had just mentioned it to them the other day and they're like, Oh my God, that's so cool. I just watched the documentary, but a year ago, nobody cared. Cause you know, it was like, Oh great. This team lost on national television. Like, you know, and then there's just a bunch of memes about it talking about, look at this fake school. And, you know, I just committed to Bishop Sycamore and whatnot. Like what, <laughs> what intrigued you to kind of write that story? And kind of what gravitated you towards it? Yeah, I always I always say, you know, at the beginning, I didn't have any interest. Ben brought this to me and I was like, you know, I am I am not a sports reporter in this job. You know, I do that sometimes, but I don't really want to write a high school football story. And I think Ben from the beginning said, you know, this is not a sports story. This is something else. Um, And I think that anyone who's watched the documentary can imagine a young reporter who was kind of bored with the day to day showing up and meeting Roy Johnson. Uh, And, you know, it's like you're not going to not follow Roy Johnson around once you've talked to him. Uh, You know, it was very clear right away to me that 
weird things were going on here, both, you know, football related and not. Um, and every time I looked into any piece of it, there was some other weirder, more interesting thing to look into. And it just kept going that way for six months. Um, and then, you know, and it, it was it was it was just one of those things that anyone who loves stories uh, and loves looking into stuff can get intrigued by. Yeah. And one of those weird turns that I know that caught my attention were the uh, the PPP loans. I think for me personally, that was kind of that was really like a heartbreaking thing for me to these kids being in interviews and kind of being told like, hey, by the way, you have $20,000 in loans. And they're kind of like, hey, you know, what the heck? Like, how, how did that happen? Why? I didn't, you know, I didn't know anything about that. Roy just had me sign a piece of paper. Like, Ben, is there is there anything that like, Again, I I don't want to necessarily call it a loophole, but like, how did he get away with that? How do you get away with just having kids sign twenty thousand dollars PPP loans, and all of a sudden one day they're like, "Hey, congratulations, you have a twenty thousand dollar, you know, your twenty thousand dollars in debt." So, like with everything else, somebody has to care enough to do something about it. So that's a crime, no matter what. You know, we can we say definitively that Roy took out loans in those kids' names? Not definitively. We don't have enough information. What we can say for a fact is that a crime was committed. Loans were taken out in those kids' names that are meant for businesses. Those kids don't own businesses. So either the kids took them out themselves, that's a crime. Or someone took them out in the kids' names, that's also a crime. So no matter what, we have a crime. Why hasn't it been prosecuted? Because like you said, it was like $20,000. PPP loan fraud, they're not going after $20,000. That's a rounding error to the federal government. They are going after the people that did multi-million dollar PPP loan fraud. It is going to be way down the pecking order before anyone gets around to prosecuting somebody that took $20,000 from the government. Uh, like, for example, let's say that you knew for a fact someone committed tax fraud and you wanted to report that to the IRS. The IRS doesn't take tips on tax fraud for any individual or corporation that makes less than a million dollars because it's just not worth their time. It costs more money for them to actually investigate and prosecute than what you stole. So it's about making sure that you do the right kind of crime to the right kind of people to get away with it. So did I just hear you call Roy Johnson smart in terms of what he did? That's 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 what I heard. He said, well, he but just you said also he heard me say we're not sure he did it. And that's, <laughs> sure. you know, the biggest red flag. That one was a little too smart. That's why I sure. think, you know, maybe it wasn't him. <laughs> Sure. No, I, you never, you never know, I guess. And so I want to kind of talk about the players a little bit. And Andrew, I don't know if you can maybe touch on this a little bit. Trillian Harris's story kind of really touched me and just seeing how much he really cared as a player to want to go to that next level, to play in division one and eventually kind of got that opportunity at Grambling state and later had his scholarship revoked is is he one of kind of the only players that could have gone division one actually in that program? Or is it, is it maybe a little too tough to say because of, you know, maybe not necessarily the coaching that they should have gotten or is, were there any that kind of stood out amongst the rest that, okay, maybe that player actually could have gone division one. Yeah. I mean, it's super tricky for a number of reasons. Um, the, easiest reason that it's to say that it's super tricky is because they rarely had any type of accurate roster or anything that resembles it 
So, you know, you look through their lists of players and there are guys on there who never played for the team. There are guys on there who played one game and then left. There's all that stuff. So it's like actually really tricky to track down even who was on these rosters. Um, But for the most part, what I'll say is that whether it was for athletic reasons or for a host of other reasons, you know, behavioral stuff, um, grades, whatever, for the most part, these were not kids who were already on a track to be going to college. So they really needed um, something from Bishop Sycamore to get them to that point. And I do think that's where Trillian was a little bit unique in that I think that in a world where he never went to Bishop Sycamore, he maybe could have figured it out and gone to a college. I mean, I think the Grambling thing shows that. Sure. Um, But for the most part, these were kids who probably weren't going to be making it in college. I say probably. Of course, there's a chance that they could have. I mean, one of the kids is now walking on at Louisville. I don't think he's really playing or anything, but um, sure. He's there. Still so impressive good. nonetheless. It's sure, totally. Um, but you know, these were kids who who were probably not on their way to college. Um, but these were kids who had every bit as much motivation and desire and you know willingness to do anything to get there as any other kid who did make it to college. And that's what Roy and the Bishop Sycamore program took advantage of, is is that desire and you know that sort of last ditch effort that they all had and they knew they all had um and that's why the kids wound up in the position in the first place sure and so i just to touch on that point just for a second with some of those kids that maybe came from those underprivileged communities per se is is that something that was in a national outreach for roy and the staff or was that more a Ohio, maybe Kentucky, kind of, you know, Midwest region, or was it like, okay, just anybody we can get from anywhere in the country, like, let's, you know, let's invite them to our academy kind of thing. Yeah, it was even international. (laughs) They had a a guy they were trying to get from London. Um, They had guys from Canada that either toured or maybe played like one game and then left. Um, He was pulling people from absolutely everywhere that he could. Uh, the first season was largely uh, Ohio and maybe like the region. Uh, the first season, as, this is as COF Academy before they became Bishop Sycamore. Um, they were largely pulling from people that were connected in some way via the um, the AME church, which is the church that they were originally going to be um, affiliated with and theoretically financially backed by. Uh, and that's a huge church, a huge national organization. So they could bring that up and they could reach out to other congregations and say, you know, do you guys have any football players that might be looking for a home? Um, And so they got most of their first people that way. And then the first season happened and everybody kind of said, you know, and even in the middle of the first season, they kind of said, we need more guys. So they just started expanding and they just started bringing in everybody that they possibly could. And, you know, they had a, a trio of guys that came from New York in one of the early seasons um, like I said, they had they had guys from out, out of the country even, but then it goes all the way back down to the other direction where they would literally sit in like a Walmart parking lot and approach like large teenagers and say, you know, do you play football? Cause you have a body to play football. Do you want to be an offensive lineman? I, I have a real, I, I wrote a story about this, this one kid who was literally walking into a Walmart with his mom. And these two guys came up to him and said, 
hey, you're a pretty big kid. Do you play football? And that's that's how they pitched him on Bishop Sycamore. That's unreal. That's that that's not that <laughs> now that's something you don't hear every day. And so, Ben, like for you for previously working for OSHA, like what do you like? Obviously, you know, you can actively encourage people to to come to your school. But like, how do you take that to the next step in terms of, OK, I see Kid X in the parking lot at a Walmart. How, how do I get them to really want to come to my school? It, it, you know, it, is that something that's just it's just actively encouraging a kid to come to your school based on preferences or is that is that a red flag looking internationally or you know looking locally of kind of like hey this probably shouldn't be a thing or is that something that even is on your radar so cof academy and bishop sycamore both at various times applied for ohsaa membership and both times it was denied so they were never members of the ohsaa so they didn't have to worry about following rules like recruiting and things of that nature. There was no governing body to hold them accountable. So they could go do whatever they wanted. They didn't have to listen to the OHSAA. They obviously didn't care about listening to the Ohio Department of Education. So they could just go off and, and do whatever they liked, find their players however they liked, uh, as as they well did. Sure. And so, like, is that something, too? Because I, I know there had been mention of players not necessarily being in the age requirement for OHSSA is is that something that how how did that how did that come about of like seeing a player being like hey this this kid's probably not in the is it 20 years old is that the max age if if I remember correctly yeah so once you turn 20 you're no longer eligible for high school athletics under the rules of the OHSAA so you have to be 19 and 364 days is okay but the day you're 20 no more The issue is that Bishop Sycamore drew all of their players from people that were already out of high school. So a good chunk of them were already 20 or over. Now, why that's a problem, again, they're not governed by OHSAA. They can do whatever they want. They could have a team full of adults if they wanted to. And I mean, and legally speaking, they did. But the issue is that they would call up schools and say, let's play. I'm a high school. And when that school would ask them, do you abide by all the rules and regulations of the OHSAA, even though you're not a member? They would say, yes, we do. And they would sign contracts saying, yes, we follow all the requirements. When asked directly, do you have anyone on your team that's over 20? They would say, no, we don't, even though they did. So it's not necessarily that it's a problem that they composed the team in the way that they did. It's the issue that they then lied to people about the composition of the team and were playing games in manners that were not safe for themselves or for the opponents. Sure. And so just another, you know, scenario in which it's kind of like, okay, if, if you just don't pay attention and nobody says anything about it, you kind of just get away with it. And, and nothing at the end of the day really happens except for a quick, you know, slap on the wrist per se. So I think the, the my last thing I wanted to talk about here, and I, I, Andrew, I think you maybe touched on this, Ben, I think you did as well. So, Jay Moan was on, uh, or sorry, Joe Maimon was on the Barstool Sports Pick Central show. Um, I believe this was about a month ago, um, just kind of talking about the film in general. Um, I had a chance to listen to it for a little bit. Um, I caught maybe the first 20, 30 minutes or so and was like, that's probably all I need to hear. Um, 
he he mentioned that Bishop Sycamore was not registered with the state of Ohio for OSHA. Why is that something that he is so public about when it's also very public that they clearly were not registered by OSHA and they, they were not registered accurately and they you like you mentioned twice tried to do so and were denied both times. Why is that something that he's kind of publicly coming out and trying to deny? So I think that the reason he would try to like plant a flag on that point is, you know, if they weren't a member of OHSAA, then they had no requirement to follow OHSAA rules. So if they're not a member of OHSAA, what's it matter if they had guys on the team that were over 20? What's it matter if they weren't a school? The reason it matters is because they lied and told people that they were. If they had said from the get-go, hey, we're a team of 20-year-old guys. Some of our guys have active felony warrants. Our coach has an active domestic violence warrant. Um, we never pay our bills. Would you like to play us? And the school said, sure. That'd be an entirely different story. But that's sure. not what they did. Sure. Yeah. If, and if anyone, if anyone can take one thing away from this conversation, I hope that it is you should never listen to anything that Joe Maimone <laughs> says. He is one of the worst people that that is involved in this. And it's you, a, it, you it's me, an interesting 20, 30 minute conversation. You heard me be very, you know, uh, empathetic to Roy Johnson, the guy that is in charge of all this. I have zero empathy for Joe because Joe knows exactly what he's doing. He went on that show to talk about how it's all the kids fault that they were in this position. And that is the thing that I have. I have no time for. It's the it's the worst part of anything that Roy says in the documentary. And it's the worst part of Joe's take on this whole thing is that who cares if these kids were treated poorly or if if they were put in this position because they didn't have any other choice. That's exactly why it's bad is because they didn't have any other choice and they were taken advantage of. And that guy going on that show and acting like he didn't do anything wrong and Roy didn't do anything wrong and that these kids deserved it because they came from bad backgrounds is the grossest thing that you could possibly do. I mean, I do really think that's probably the most heartbreaking part of the entire story. You have to remember that these are kids and they had these dreams and aspirations to possibly play division one football somewhere. And we're told that they were, and at the end of the day, almost had it ripped away from them in a sense of being promised something. And then at the end of the day, realizing that the people in charge never really had any sympathy towards you in terms of actually wanting to pursue that possible division one dream that some of these kids had. And I think that's, that's just kind of where I know to me, it kind of touches as a former athlete myself, where, you know, you have those dreams and those aspirations. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because the people in charge aren't necessarily looking out for your best interest. So I think that's, that's kind of all we're going to, going to touch on today with Bishop Sycamore. I know there was one thing I like to do in particular, kind of, I know some of the, the the topics aren't necessarily the most uplifting things in the entire world. Andrew, I know we talked about right before we got on the, uh, got on the podcast here, big Columbus crew guy. So I have to ask, what are your expectations going into the playoffs? What's the, uh, what, what do we think the ceiling is and, and what do we think the floor is for this team? Cause I know what my, my opinions are and I know what I want as a Columbus crew fan, but somebody that's been with the team, what do you, what do you think the, uh, the ceiling is for this team going into the playoffs? Well, I think they're one of those teams that has a, an equally high ceiling and floor. I think on any given night, 
the ceiling is that they can win it all. And the floor is that they can lose a dumb playoff game to somebody that they shouldn't lose to. Uh, my, I guess my expectation would be at least that they win their first round matchup. Um, they should, should, unless they fall apart down the stretch, have home field advantage for the first round. They should make it through that. Um, and I think that winning that first playoff series will be an indication that Nancy's first year, you know, has been, has been great. Um, I, but I think they're very capable of making a run and I would love to get Cincinnati and, and to beat them. A little hell is real action in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals okay. might uh, might be the greatest thing to ever happen to the state of Ohio. Right right behind Ohio State beating Michigan again this year. But that's that's another sidebar for, for another day. Both. Yeah, exactly. We can try and get back on track both in the uh, both in the fall and the winter. So, um, well, thank you again both for joining us here today. I know it was it was exciting for me to kind of get the season off on a strong uh, footing here and having both of you be on here to kind of talk about the BS High documentary and just talk about Bishop Sycamore in general. I know it was really exciting for me and and the rest of the Sports Society Initiative. So, thank you both. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Absolutely. So on the next episode of the Intersection Podcast, myself, uh, I will be talking with Coach Kevin McGuff, the head coach for the Ohio State women's basketball team, as well as Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch about Kelsey Mitchell and Taylor Mike Sell's journeys through the WNBA. We look forward to you listening next time on the Intersection Podcast.